The world is like a ride at an amusement park. And when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think. Feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratis Show. I am your host, Nicholas Gregoratis. I'm so happy to have you guys here with me. I really do appreciate each and every one of you. And thank you once again for tuning in. I've got a great guest today with um, a fantastic topic, a topic that is very close to my heart, which is alcohol use. I really believe that alcohol is one of the biggest cons ever played on humanity. And that if you want to change your consciousness, there are way better ways to do it than alcohol. I make no judgments on anyone that uses alcohol. God knows I've used it and many other substances to change my consciousness. I just think that there are there are just better ways to do it. And uh, if, if it's something that you've been considering giving up or creating a new relationship with, then this show is uh, it's going to be immensely beneficial to you. I also just want to remind you guys that I am available for one-to-one men's coaching. I work with men and the results I get for them, each and every person that works with me makes breakthroughs in all areas of their life, including their health, their relationship with money, their relationship with women, and just pretty much everything gets better when you work with me. So uh, if you want to find out a little bit more about that, head on over to my website, which is coachnickg.com, and that's C-O-A-C-H-N-I-C-G.com, and you can find out more there. I also want to let you guys know that next year, in 2023, I'm starting to deliver a talk in businesses and corporations. The talk is going to be called Total Wellness for the Corporate, Corporate Warrior. And it's going to help those in the corporate environment really mitigate some of the, the challenges or the, or the issues that they face from working in those environments and improve all qualities of their their mind, minds, bodies, and spirits. So if you're interested in that and you want to find out more, head on over to coachnickg.com, send me an email. And remember, you can always get a copy of my book, Align, The Modern Man's Guide to Health, Wealth, and Freedom by heading on over to coachnickg.com and clicking on the link that says book. Let's get back to the, the episode, which is with really cool guy, Shane Raymer from That Sober Guy podcast. I hope you guys enjoy. Hey, brothers, welcome back to the show. I am so excited to speak with Mr. Shane Raymer, the creator of That Sober Guy podcast. Shane, my man, thank you so much for making the time. Nick, great to be here, man. Honored to be on your show and uh, looking forward to having a great convo today and uh, having some fun. Me too, man. I've just got a feeling this is going to be a good one. So, I mean, I think the title of your show, That Sober Guy Podcast, is obviously a hint as to as to who you are and what you do in there. But it's my understanding that you, your whole message is about helping men quit, uh, quit alcohol, or quit drinking. Is that correct? It is. It is, man. It's something I struggled with for uh, over 17 years, grew up in a, in a pretty dysfunctional family and, and saw a lot of that, uh, alcohol drugs as a kid. And, uh, 
man, I've kind of made it my own mission uh, to go out and uh, help other men quit drinking and uh, unlock that true purpose and um, really, really open up the consciousness to the world. Because I, I do truly believe that alcohol uh, subdues our consciousness and it um, it places us in a spot where we're not able to grow. We're not able to to step out and be um, the the true human being that we're supposed to be. So, mm-hmm. yeah, man, it's been it's been a journey and it's been a lot of ups and downs. But uh, um, it's I love the work that I do. I love talking about it. So, man, th- uh, you know, again, thanks so much for having me on the podcast today. Sure. Yeah. No, I, I'm. I have so many thoughts, so many things to talk to you about. So the first thing I'll say is uh, this is a topic that's that's near and dear to my heart, uh, not, not because I've ever struggled with alcohol, but just because I've seen it destroy so many people. Yeah. In, in my book, I actually, my book is 20 principles for, for men on how to live um, lives in which they maximize their health, wealth, and fulfillment. And number eight of those 20 principles in my book, the chapter is called Minimize Your Alcohol Use. And I start the chapter with a quote from Mary Wilson Little, which is, almost anything can be preserved in alcohol except health, happiness, and money. And (laughs) I think there's something to that. I think there really is something to that. So I guess where where I'd like to start is... uh, Tell me the story. How did it begin? How did your journey with alcohol begin? Oh man. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I kind of mentioned, uh, you know, a little bit about my growing up, but let, let me take you to a spot where it was actually kind of right at the end of this. Um, I'm up in Northern California. Mm-hmm. And so it's, you know, a, a hot summer day. Um, I'm driving to work. I have a little single cab stick shift Chevy S10 with no air conditioner. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sweating and, uh, you know, so I'm, I'm driving to work and I do my normal thing. I stop at the liquor store. I grab the usual vodka, Red Bull. Um, I'm flying down Interstate 80 trying to get to work. You know, I pour, pour a drink. I poured it in a, a cup, like a McDonald's cup, you know, and then I hurry up and drink it as fast as I can before I get to work. Um, and this is just another Wednesday, right, at, at, at Fuck, 1 p.m. Yeah. in the afternoon, because I'm, I'm working a swing shift at the time. Uh, I'm, I'm a machine operator uh, for a really large company. And um, now this, like this same thing had been happening every day for months and, and, and just the same thing over and over. And every single day I woke up and I swore that I was going to quit drinking. I, 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 up, I'm, I'm done. God, I'm done with this. This is the last day. Mm-hmm. And then repeat. Now, as a kid, I mentioned this in the beginning, again, it was pretty chaotic. I always refer to it as kind of controlled chaos. Um, my dad had control over everything, but he had a control over nothing at the same time. So I watched alcohol and drugs like literally destroy my, my dad's life. Um, and I always promised myself I would never follow in that same path. But like, here I am, like there I was, you know, doing the same, same stuff. So I'm 32 years old. I'm miserable at my job. I'm scared to be a father. Um, my I'm married at the time. So my, my relationship though with my wife is just, it's going downhill fast. Um, self-worth, confidence, like at an all-time low. I'm lost, confused, frustrated, pissed off. 
all the responsibilities of life. Um, and when I look back now, I realize I, I lacked purpose so much. And the one thing that made all of that shit go away, at least for the short, the short term, uh, was alcohol. So and here's what's funny. At the same time, like I knew in my gut that God had something more for my life. I, I, I could feel it. Um, I also could feel that if I didn't stop, like something, something bad was going to happen, but I, I knew that I could be a better, a better father. I knew I didn't have to follow the same uh, path that my dad went down. I knew I could be a better husband and not end up divorced. Like my parents did. I knew I could be a better overall, overall man. And I wanted so desperately to change, but like, I could not stop drinking. Like I tried mm. every day. And, and, and so that it was this, it was this cycle, you know, and it was this whole mentality that I was so stuck in. And, uh, I think that's a great way to describe, to, to describe it is just stuck, helpless, hopeless, mm. you know, and man, yeah, yeah, it was heavy. It was a heavy time. <laughs> wow. I can imagine. Uh, so I'm really not trying to make this an infomercial for my book, but it's interesting because there's a lot of overlap. Like um, yeah. the first principle, the first chapter I talk about is choose your mission, right? Because, and what I say is um, every man has to have a mission or a purpose. We could use the word purpose, I guess, as well. Um, sorry, man, that, that oh, it's all good. Rang there. I apologize for that. Um, I'll get my guy to edit that out. Every man has to have a mission. Without one, you are vulnerable to forces of distraction and apathy, and you will inevitably drift through your life. And I think I could probably add to that after this conversation that we've had or after what you've shared. Not only uh, are you predisposed to these forces of apathy and this, this propensity to drift through life, I mean, the devil also finds um, work for idle hands, right? So yeah. this, this idea of having this mission or having this purpose is... It's absolutely vital, man. And I, I'm so glad you, you spoke about that. So I guess, logically, the next question is, what, what is your purpose? What did you discover your purpose to be? Well, I think first, my first purpose is to be a, a good father to my kids and uh, to, to be a good husband to my wife and to be... Um, to be the the dad and the husband that uh, I didn't see growing up, I think I think that's number one. You know, my my family and and leading my family down a path um, of uh, of faith and and being um, of service and trying to help other people and also uh, finding what we truly enjoy to do as a family. You know, what does that look like? My, my kid, I'm here to steward my kids. You know, I'm not here to control them. I'm here to guide them in the best way possible. And am I perfect? Hell no, I'm not perfect, but I really strive to be excellent. Um, you know, and, and, and as well as my wife, like we homeschool our kids. Uh, my, my wife is with them, you know, five days a week, she works a little bit part-time. She just started going back to work part-time and, um, and, you know, we, we're a tight knit family. So, I think that's number one. And then, you know, next to that, my, my purpose, I, I just, I really truly love helping dudes like quit drinking and find out who they are and, and what they were born to do or hmm. what they love to do. Or I love taking it back. Like I see a lot of dudes who they're so stuck 
they feel lost, confused, like there's no purpose. That's why a lot of them drink because it's like, what the hell else is there to do? Right. Like as kids, man, we had so much fun as kids. And what I don't know what where along the line, all of a sudden we got to be adults and then we figured out we got trapped in this like we got trapped in this matrix almost of like, man, I got to go to work or maybe even go to college and go to work and do the thing and pay the bills. And then we just get, we, we totally lose ourselves in that and we're just stuck. And so I, I always tell dudes, I said, man, what do you like to, what did you love to do as a kid? Like, oh man, why well, I used to love skateboarding. Well, do you skate anymore? Well, no, no, no. I'm 40. I'm 43. What, what you can't grab a skateboard and, and go skate a little bit. Like, like yeah. we have to unlock it, we're never too old to do anything as long as are we as long as we stay open to it stay teachable and be okay with sucking at shit sometimes too yeah <laughs> like so yeah i just i, I know that's a long-winded answer but I, I just love helping dudes unlock some of that you know even if it's just a little inkling of it like it, there's a little bit of hope there like man hey wait a minute and that leads to the next thing when we just open ourselves up who knows what what happens next sure i really love the way you think shane it's it's so cool it's um it's very aligned with, with the way I see the world and the way I see what it means to be a, a happy, fulfilled, self-actualized man. Now, if this, this is probably going to be a little bit uncomfortable, painful for you, although it might not be because you seem like someone who's dealt with this shit. But you know, what I find in, in most of the, with most of the men I work with is one of the root causes that stops them from being, fulfilling their potential is it's usually daddy issues. You know, I mean, I, like it's as simple as I can make it. It's it's usually yeah. like they're either living in their father's shadow or their father left, and they don't they didn't have a real a good male role model, or there's some kind of thing going on like with their dad. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit more. You said your dad uh, he had control, but he had no control, which I found very interesting. Could you elaborate on that a little bit for me, please? Yeah. So my my dad he. Him and my mom had me when I, when they were young. They were 17 and 18 at the time. Whoa. Both Whoa. They both suffered um, some trauma as kids. My mom was adopted um, and had her own issues with that. And then my dad, his sister, when when he was 15, he told her he hated her. And then he went away for a weekend and she fell off a horse and and uh, hit her head on a rock and she she died. And so he came oh, back to that with those last words. And so. The older I've gotten that, you know, the more we become adults and we start to process life and look at our own lives and look at our, we start to look at our parents as human beings and not just mom and dad, you know, for so long, I played that victim mentality of, you know, my dad, this, or I didn't have this, or I didn't have the role model. And, um, it wasn't until I, number one, cut the drinking down and started to do the work. Um, but I started to to process this stuff and see them as people and see that they have been through their own things. And it's not personal to me. I'm just, I just happen to be in this situation. That's right where God put me, you know, and I don't have any control over that. So like when, when we're, but flashback though, to, to get to the question, like the control aspect, he had control over everything. He had control physically over us like my mom my sister me and he and what was bigger than that is there was a there was emotional and a mental control over it so um you never knew if some shit was going to pop off any second of the minute like some some days and we had some great times too i mean we took some vacations 
we, we used to travel a lot up to Lake Tahoe, uh, which is just a couple hours from here. That was one of our favorite spots to go snowboard or ski or go to the lake. Um, you know, we did some camping. I mean, we, we had some, some times, I think my parents did the best they could with the, you know, the limited financial, uh, uh stability that they had and the, also the limited life experience and tools that they had to deal mm-hmm. with kids and a family and bills and, and just life in general. And so it just, it created a really when you, and then, so take all of that and then mix in alcohol as a main focal point, but also other drugs too, at times it was a recipe for disaster. You had two immature young people trying to do life with no coping skills and, and no, um, you know, no knowledge on really how to do it on how to control emotions and talk and really communicate about stuff. And so, yeah, just as a kid, man, I, I learned to run. That's one of the early things I did is I learned to run like, screw this. I'm out of here. You know, I was out by the time I was probably 13 or 14. Um, I, I was just staying at friends' houses as often as I could. I was gone. I never wanted to be home. We moved around a lot, you know, lived in apartments. And so there, there just, um, there wasn't a state that my mom and dad broke up a lot and then they get back together. And, and it was just like, it, there wasn't like that. And I don't expect it to be like freaking leave it to beaver or anything either, you know, but like, there wasn't like a, like a stable, yeah, there was no stability and you just never knew what was going to happen. And so it, it made me, um, you know, it made me very insecure mm-hmm. and it made me, um, also, like I mentioned, become a runner. And then once I found alcohol, damn, that was like a whole nother thing. Even though I swore up and down, I would never do that shit and never go down the same path as my dad. I remember that first time I drank, I got so sick and, but I felt so warm and I felt like everything just floated away. And as, as, as terrible as I felt the next day, cause I, I was still sick cause I drank a lot, man. It was like, okay, that's not too bad. I think I could do that again sometime. <laughs> and that turned in like over years, like, yeah, just, uh, you know, I'd found the solution or so I thought at that, at that moment. Wow. It, that draws out so much from my mind and there's so much overlap with the work that I've, I've done on myself and that I, I help men with, which the first thing that comes to mind is, you know, there's what I was taught by one of my coaches is that, most people walking around today who are chronologically grown up are not actually adults. They're still children. And one of the things that differentiates one of the key differentiating factors between a child and an adult is the ability to sit with discomfort and to face their discomfort. And that ultimately is what most people use alcohol for is to cover up or numb their discomforts that are usually related to their own personal traumas or um, whatever, whatever else might be manifesting as, as discomfort in their life or causing discomfort in their life. And, you know, I'm, I'm not, I'm not saying that from a high horse, man. Like I used other things. I didn't particularly use alcohol because for me, I just, the thing with alcohol that always struck me was like, it just seemed like a bad deal because I don't really drink much, but I gotta be honest. I find the sensation of being drunk. It's, it's really pleasant. You know, yeah. I mean, you, you relaxed and you giggle and you like, it's, you talk shit and your body's loose and your inhibitions are loaded. It's yeah, it's fun. But 
what I found is that that next day feeling, how it would just throw me off my course for like sometimes two days even, right? And it would just make me feel like such shit. I was just like, as, as a businessman, I was like, this is a bad trade. Like I'm trading three hours of feeling good for 24 hours or 48 hours of feeling shit. That just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. So um, <laughs> uh, I, I totally, I totally get where you're coming from, man. And um, yeah, coming back, there's a, I, I'm, I'm going on a little bit here, but you said so many interesting things to me. Speaking about your dad with this, this excessive control, you yeah. know, I've known, I've known people like that in my life and what I've, and I've also, if I'm honest with myself, I've also sometimes been like that. There've been points where I've tried to control everything and what it ultimately comes down to is fear. Excessive control is a manifestation of fear. 100. It's a fear. Yeah. Fear about the outcome of the future that you're, you're so you try to control it, which is interesting to me. Yeah. I, that's a hundred percent on point. You know, my, my, my mentor, uh, buddy, we, we talk a lot um, about these, uh, you know, all, all aspects of this. And it's funny how everything he said, he told me a long time ago, he said, anger, frustration, everything you're going through, everything you're feeling, it all comes back to fear at the end of the day. What are you scared of? So take a step back when you're feeling pissed off, take a step back when you're feeling frustrated and take a breath and breathe. Look at your feet because God's got you right where you're supposed to be and ask yourself, what am I afraid of? And every single time I can be aware enough to do that, because don't get me wrong. Sometimes we're so caught up in the moment that it's hard to step back. It, it takes a minute, but the more we practice it, the better we get at it. But when I can do that every single time, it's like, Oh, okay. That's what I'm scared of. Okay. Got it. All right. So let's, so how do I start to deal with that? So just being aware enough to identify, you know, what's going on, why I'm feeling a certain way. Um, how that helps me to start to um, start to sit in it for a minute and and figure out a solution to it or not figure out a solution to it. Just sit there and feel it and be sit there and feel it and face the discomfort yeah. like an adult, right? And yeah, to be like, an adult. Dude, and I wanted to actually hit on that too. You said about the, it's such a good point that you made about the, you know, so many uh, quote unquote adults walking around out there as, as children. And that's like, you know, like we hear about that. We deal with these people. Um, maybe we know, maybe they're our own family, friends, whatever. And, you know, they're, they're supposed to be the adult in the situation. They could be 20, 30 years older than us, but we feel like we're the adult dealing with the child because that alcoholism, it, it locks them in a certain time. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, I'd like mm -hmm. to say this, Nick, if you don't mind, just when you ask me like the purpose, another part to that purpose for me is, you know, my father's still struggling out there. He's still on the street. Uh, actually, I actually probably should hit him up and just just check in with him because we go months at times without without talking. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have to love him from a distance. And and um, I have to, there's a certain boundary that I've had to create in order to deal with, um, you know, in order to deal with those emotions and the situations and the times we do see each other. But I can't help him. I've, I've tried everything. Yeah, you know, I've tried, yeah. I've, I've tried being angry. I've tried being upset. He knows what I do for a living. He knows that I help dudes quit drinking and I help, I help them, um, you know, find themselves. He knows everything, mm. but I can't help him because he doesn't want the help. But contrary to that, I think that's why I'm so like, I think that's why God placed me in this position. Um, you know, starting the podcast, going through my own stuff with this, with alcohol and, um, just life in general and lack of confidence and all that. And now he's put me in a place 
not, not where I know everything. And I'm the, I don't, I, you know, not, not where I'm doing everything perfect. He's put me in a place where I remain teachable. I continue to learn and I continue to um, share my experience in the hopes that it helps some other people. So although I can't help my dad, I get to help a lot of other dudes out there too. And there was one thing with, with my father that I, and I love this story because it was just like, and I hate using the term that light bulb moment, but I don't know how else to describe it. It was just, it was, I was, I was standing there talking to my mentor buddy. And uh, I think I was on a walk one morning and I was doing the same thing. This is a few years back. I was doing the whole victim thing. I was, my, I was pissed off at my father. If he did this and he did that and whatever. Mm-hmm. And, and my, and he doesn't, a buddy doesn't usually uh, talk. He wouldn't usually say something like this, but all of a sudden he goes, will you shut the fuck up? <laughs> and I was like, whoa. And uh, he goes, you're sitting here bitching and complaining about your dad and this and that you set expectations for him that he will never, ever meet. And that's your bad. He goes, look at all the good men that God has put in your life that have showed you that have walked with you, that have been there for you. He's all, that's what you need to focus on. Love your dad, love him where he's at and quit with. And I was like, damn, that was, so that was a real pivotal moment, not just for my dad, but understanding that I don't have control over anybody. I can't help anybody who doesn't want help. Number one, it's a waste of time. So I can love them. If I got to love them from a distance, that's what I'll do. I can pray for them. I can meditate and think about them and try to send positivity their way. But, um, you know, that, that was kind of a opening moment, I think, because I wasted a lot of energy on trying to do things. And a lot of the time it was for my own, my own, um, you know, reasons. Cause I wanted to feel better. Cause I helped that's, it doesn't work like that. Yeah, I get it. I really do get it. I was reminded of, uh, actually the dedication at the front of my book, when you, when you were describing your relationship with your father, which says, if you must blame your parents for everything that's wrong with you, remember to thank them for everything that's right with you. And <laughs> your, your dad was, I mean, he gave you a, a great negative example, but I'm sure there's, there's also positive examples that if you look back, you'll realize you, you are the man you are today because of some of the, the early lessons he instilled in you. And, um, yeah, I, I totally get it. I totally get what you're talking about. M- my yeah. mother, who I love very much and who I, she's a good person. My mother has a good heart. There's no doubt about it, right? But she she is emotionally a child. And I remember when I was I was back in South Africa recently and I, you know, she's her life isn't great for, for a bunch of reasons. And the primary one is, she's a victim, right? And she, she just refuses to take responsibility and ownership for her choices in life. And I said to her, I said, like, I, I had, I call it the come to Jesus talk where I, I sat her down on the whole trip. I, I knew I had to have this talk with her and I didn't want to, but I, I also knew that I couldn't consider myself having fulfilled my role as a son without having this talk to talk with her. And I explained to her my per- perception of the situation and why I felt her life was the way it was and and how also she could go beyond it. And, you know, she listened and I think she took some of it on board, but when people get to that age, it's like, like with your dad, like you can't help them really. It's, it's like, it's, it gets to a point where, and what I realized is I did my bit. I, I tried to help at the very least. I think this, it's always important to try to help, but if, if that, that, um, that attempt, 
fails, you've done your bit and it's no longer your responsibility, right? Yeah. It, it really, you can, you can sleep with a, a, a clean conscience knowing that you, you did your bit. If I mean, if you had never tried to help your dad, you just said, fuck that guy. Like that's very different. Right. But you've actually tried. And so I respect that a lot. Yeah. Thank, thanks, man. And, and I, I really do appreciate that. And it's a, it's a good reminder because I think I'm hard on myself sometimes with that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, I, I, I mean, I don't know if you go through this too. I'm my own worst enemy. Like there's nobody harder on myself than me. Like, and that's been a, you know, that's been another challenge I've had to continuously work on. And I just, I try to remember, like, I, I thank you for pointing that out too. Like the, the good times, like there was good times. And like, even just this last Thanksgiving, before my sister had moved and stuff, we all had Thanksgiving at her house and it was my mom and my dad. And those two haven't been together in years. And then my family, my sister's family, and we had a really nice time. You know, I played some football out in the street with, with my dad and he played with my son, you know, and they don't see each other often, but there was no, like, there was no animosity. There was no like bullshit, like going on. Like, it was just like a, we all enjoyed ourselves and we laughed and we had a really nice time. And so those are the moments that I um, am, am, am really choosing to, uh, you know, to take advantage of and to really focus on because at the end of the day, man, this life is, is fucking short mm -hmm. <laughs> and like it goes by so quick. And so like being in the moment, staying present, um, trying to really enjoy each moment is it's, it's kind of where I, I've, I've, I'm at today. And mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that only started once I set alcohol aside and I'm not saying that alcohol was the problem. Like I'm the issue. I mean, yes, it was a problem, mm -hmm. no doubt, but like there's a certain consciousness that was unlocked once I stopped drinking and stopped using that mm -hmm. as the tool to deal with life. And then it was like, Oh my God, like I'm 32 year old Shane Raymer and I have no idea who I am. So now mm -hmm. for the last almost 10 years, it's been this journey of like, learning and growing and trying new things and screwing things up and then fixing them and then making, you know, another mistake and then figuring out why did, why did I do that? Okay. Well, I did this well. And mm -hmm. it's just, I, I really do love my life, man. I'm, I'm a blessed dude. I'm, I love helping other dudes and just other people in general. And, um, man, I love, <laughs> I love doing podcasts too. I love That's having cool. combos like this. Yeah. It's a great, yeah, no, a great it, time. Yeah. So I say, uh, an affirmation, a series of affirmations every morning. It's kind of like my morning prayers. And uh, in one of them, it says, I, I will always remember that anything I perceive as hostile, either looks, words, or actions, is merely the effort of the other to feel secure within himself. And man, I cannot even tell you how much that has helped me, specifically when it comes to forgiveness and overlooking things that I perceived as uh, that were done towards me or that, that hurt me is I just realized that that person's decision, I don't even take it personally anymore. I just realized they were just trying to feel secure within themselves. And I think on some level, your dad, like his drinking and all the choices he made, if you really look at it that way, I mean, he was, he was using very poor tools and, and not the best um, up. He wasn't making the best choices, but, at the root of it all, the guy just wanted to feel safe and secure, right? He just wanted to have a sense of belonging. And man, that just understanding that. And when you really think about that, you really put that in someone, you put yourself in someone's shoes and realize that at the root of any choice they made or any decision they took, whether it was the right one or the wrong one, that's what they were trying to do. They were trying to feel safe. 
Yep. It's very helpful. Yeah, I, I love it, man. I, 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 to kind of piggyback on that, I think if we remember that, if we remember that everybody is in their own minds trying most of the time trying to do the best they can. And if yeah. we, if we can take that to heart and understand that even if, if we disagree with it or we don't think it's right or whatever in their minds, they're doing the best they can. And that's all we can ask for because I have no control over people, places, and things like it just, it doesn't exist. You know, I, yeah. I can control my responses to things and I can control how I behave and how I act and all those things. That's it. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. for me to spend energy you know, worrying about that stuff or trying to change and trying to control it. Like it's, it's a complete, complete waste. You know, they're trying to do the best they can. That's all they can do. Absolutely. man. Great point. You said something else that I wanted to speak about. You said you're your own worst enemy. And, uh, I, I was my own worst enemy for a very long time, the, the majority of my life, but I can say in all honesty that I've come to a place now where I'm my own best friend. I love and it. I really hope I hope for that for you as well, because life is a very different experience when when you've got your own back. Yeah, yeah, I, lo I love that, and uh, I think there's been, um, you know, when I look back, like in in my childhood and as a kid, I played I played baseball a lot growing up. I mean, that was like my my thing, man. I played year round for since I can even remember. And I was always so hard on myself, you know, I was like, if I, if I made an error or I messed up and that transitioned into other things in life, just being really, you know, really self, um, judging, uh, mm. and, uh, not able to forgive myself for things either. Mm. So mm. it's like, man, if you can't forgive yourself, how are you supposed to forgive other people? Yeah. And like yeah. <laughs> forgiveness is a huge, huge thing in working mm. through a lot of the shit that we deal with that, um, you know, just in our past and, everyday life. And, you know, one of the things that I found that's helped me so much with that is just to say, like, it's a, so there's a couple of things. It's okay. You know, it's okay. And then also, uh, I don't know. I used to get mad at myself a lot for not having all the answers to shit. And it's so much easier today. I'm like, if someone asks me something, or even if it's my kids, sometimes I, I just say, you know, I don't know. We can yeah. find out though. We, we can go yeah. look it up. We can just, instead of sitting there and trying to bullshit my way around things and act like I'm like the smartest dude in the world, mm. you know? And so like, there's and, a great power in, in, in expressing that vulnerability of saying you don't know. Yeah. I, I just, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't. And, and what it's done is it's relieved me a lot of that stress. Like I used to have to just want to figure out everything and well, this leads to this and this leads to that. And it was a little bit of fun and excitement adventure aspect. I think in that too, trying to connect the dots and put it together. And at the end of the day though, I don't really know, like, and, it, and it's just mm. so much easier and it's taken a lot of the pressure off me um, and being hard on myself and having to think that I need to have all the answers. And, um, and then I think it's just getting to know, getting to know ourselves too, you know, getting to trust ourselves, doing the right thing, doing the next right thing. And um, yeah, man, that's a, uh, that's some good stuff. It's very relieving to not have all that pressure to walk around with, you know, for sure. For sure. So let's, let's bring the, the conversation back specifically to, to alcohol use, mm -hmm. you know, look, uh, it's, it's something for me that I've, I've been contemplating and debating within myself lately. In fact, uh, you know, I, I've, I've been drunk maybe in total 10 times in my life, maybe yeah. and that might, might be, 
exaggerating or understating maybe it's 15 times or maybe it's eight times i don't know but it's it's definitely around that number right it's like it's it's not not many times um however i have changed my consciousness using substances many more times than that and i'm not just talking about things that most people would classify as drugs um you know i just this morning i had some uh, dark chocolate, right? Because I find dark dark chocolate just changes my consciousness a little bit because of the yeah. the theobromine in the in the the cacao, right? You know, I've used caffeine sparingly to as a performance enhancer. I've used modafinil and Provigil and those types of things as um, productivity enhancers. Yeah. I've used psychedelics for my own therapy, for my own psychological self repair. I've used MDMA for just to have fun to be pretty honest um <laughs> yeah you know but with all of these things i've noticed one thing in common right which is almost all of them uh are they give me more than alcohol ever gave me right in in some way or another um and also the cost if they're used responsibly is way less than any of the costs i ever paid with alcohol um and I, I'm not saying that like categorically that's the case. I mean, once I did, again, I didn't use it responsibly with, with Adderall, uh, not Adderall, with Provigil or Modafinil, which is that um, the, the drug that the pharmaceutical that Limitless, the movie Limitless is based upon. Oh. Like, yeah, that stuff like- That movie. Yeah, it was a great movie. Yeah. That stuff helped me a lot with my work, but also it came at a high price. I started to feel really sick after I'd taken it. I actually did start to get a little bit sick after taking it. Um, I guess where I'm going with this is, what are your thoughts on people using substances to change their consciousness? Because this is where I, I can't completely paint over alcohol and say it's, it's totally terrible because we have as a species been using it to change our consciousness for thousands and thousands of years, right? Like it's been used in rituals and it's been used, um, you know, in, in tribal contexts. And so do you think there's a place it's a, it's a two-part question, actually, Shane. Do you think there's a place for changing our substances uh, with, sorry, it's changing our consciousness with substances? And more specifically, do you think there's a place for moderate drinking in, in our lives? Yeah, both great, great questions. And uh, I, I love this because it's like, it's, we're, we're definitely changing the consciousness. We're definitely um, escaping reality in a sense too, for, uh, for, and, and you can put that in different contexts, escaping reality to get more shit done. You know, if it's a, if it's some sort of substance that might help us do that. But, um, I, you know, it's, I, I think that, I think that there are things about human beings, um, that we don't quite understand. And I think that there are ways um, that we can change our consciousness that can connect to something higher that I also don't really understand, but I, but I, but I believe that it, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Um, now I think it's, I think that you kind of have to separate it between somebody who abuses that, um, you know, and, and it starts to destroy their lives, you know, mm-hmm. versus mm-hmm. somebody who, can do, I mean, it's the same concept as alcohol. I have plenty of, like my uncle, 
that guy can drink a he can drink half a beer and put it down and then yeah. walk away from it and yeah. not have a drear for a beer for months you know um I could never do that. You know, there's a lot of, so it, I think it depends on the person. Each individual yeah. situation is different. Um, I had a long time when I first started the podcast, I had Jack Canfield on mm. and, uh, and, and he had just put out the 30 day sobriety solution. I think around that time. And one of the things he talked about, which I thought was so interesting um, was him and his son had, a, and I'm, I'm I haven't, um, I haven't listened to it in such a long time, but so I'm going to do my best to remember, but I, him and his son had some sort of conflict over years. There was some trauma there. There was a broken relationship and they couldn't seem, they couldn't seem to get it on, on, uh, on the right track. And, you know, all, all the stuff that, that we hear about in a, in a broken relationship, father, son. And so one, one weekend, they went away and they, they paid a, a, a shaman or they went to a retreat or something like that. And they did an, it was an ayahuasca retreat. Mm-hmm. And, um, and from what he said, he said that that weekend together unlocked something in the both of them that enabled them to connect again. And that, and, 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 you know, when he was telling the story at that point, their relationship had been mended. He gave a lot of the credit to that one weekend in when they participated in that. So, mm-hmm. Um, that's just one of the stories that I've heard. I've heard other stories of it. Me personally, I've never done it. I've, I've never, I was never big into, um, like even like mushrooms or anything. I think I took mushrooms one time and I was like fishing or something. And it just, I don't know, it didn't really do much for me, but, um, so yeah, I know it's kind of an interesting topic. I know there's a lot of different viewpoints on it and a lot of different ways that people see it. My, my thing at the end of the day is do you. Like for anybody out there, we're all different. We're all different people. We're all different human beings. We have different beliefs, different things we think are, um, you know, work for us and whatever works for somebody, man, I mean, if it's helping and it's, it's, it's a positive thing, then man, like I I'm, I'm all for it. Um, me personally, I, I think I'm, I'd be kind of scared to go do, uh, to go do anything like that. I don't know. It's, it, it kind of trips me out a little bit. Like that's probably why I never took the uh, hallucinogens. I am a big proponent of CBD. Uh, my, my wife uses CBD for, uh, for her headaches. She had migraines for a long time and, uh, man, the doctors were giving her like opioids. They were giving her Percocet, all this shit that was just really jacking her up. And, uh, and so finally we started looking into CBD a little bit and man, she's taken that. Um, and her, her migraines have, they're, they're not a hundred percent gone, but man, they're very manageable now. And they're, they're definitely not as frequent as they used to be. Um, so I, I always thought that was an interesting, uh, thought to everyone says, well, weed is bad. Well, it's the same thing. Like, are you smoking blunts just to get high and be a dumbass and not yeah. care of business? Or like, are you, are you doing it, um, for a purpose? There's maybe some health issues and, you know, CBD doesn't have, you know, a bunch of THC in it, a lot, most of it anyways, but, um, anyways, man, I don't know if that answers the question. Um, yeah, you know, I th- it does. I think, I think that it was a very intelligent answer, which is that there is no one fits all answer for everyone. And that's been one of my blind spots in life for a long time. It's, it's black and white thinking, you know, it's either this or it's that, or like everyone has to do this or, or everyone shouldn't do this. Right. It's, we are all different. And I, I think that's another one of the reasons why, why like diet advice and things like that. I'm always a little bit hesitant because it, it starts from the presupposition that we're all exactly the same physiologically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. You know, it's like, um, you know, uh, don't eat sugar because 
sugar is terrible for you or don't eat gluten or whatever. Like some yeah. people eat sugar and gluten and they're great. They're healthy. It works for them. Right. Like some people try keto and they feel like shit. Like it's, <laughs> it's, there's no one size fits all. So I, I think I really appreciate it. I think that was the most intelligent possible answer. I do. However, there's uh, the last little thing I want to discuss, which is I I've brought this up on my show several times, which is this idea that, you can tell a lot about a society by the drugs which it condones, right? I don't know if you've heard that that idea before, right? Um, and if you look at modern industrialized Western nations, our societies tolerate caffeine and alcohol, right? Because caffeine gets you going on Monday morning, like a good little worker, you go to the plant or the cubicle and you clock in and you do what's expected of you. And then come Friday afternoon or any evening in the week and you're all wired from sitting there doing that thing you fucking hate so much you have you have a drink because it brings you back down or on the weekend you have a drink to kind of let go of all the stress that you've just built up over the week right and yeah you know i someone told me once he worked in uh in an emergency room for many years and i he saw it all he saw people that had overdosed like young teenagers that had overdosed on mdma he saw people that had had heroin overdoses, people who like every aspect of society in which there was physical trauma, like, and, and disease, he had, he had seen it, he had been touched by it or exposed to it. And I said to him once, I said, man, if he has three children, I said, if you could choose one substance based on what you've seen that you could guarantee your children would never touch, what would it be? And I'll, I'll never forget this. And the reason I'll never forget his response is because he didn't skip a beat. He just said alcohol. Instantly, he just said alcohol. Like if there's one thing I could guarantee my children will never touch, it's alcohol. He said on some nights, 80% of the things that he would deal with in the emergency room were either directly related to alcohol, whether it had been someone smashing someone over the head with a wine bottle when they were drunk in a fit of rage or breaking their hand on someone's head, punching them because they were drunk or drunk drivers having needing surgery because they've been in, in car wrecks or indirect, like people with liver failure because of cirrhosis, because of chronic drinking or um, alcohol poisoning or whatever it might be like. And, and that just blew my mind. And, and he said to me another thing, again, smart guy. He said, our society just chose the wrong drug. We chose the wrong drug to condone. Because if you think about it, man, even though we have used, as I said earlier in the, in the show, we have used alcohol and various substances for thousands of years, um, and usually in different contexts than we use it today. Yeah. The way it's used today, it's not fucking normal, bro. We no. treat it as normal, but it's not fucking normal to go out and drink something to the point where you get blacked out or you pass out or you go and vomit and then feel like shit the next day. That is not normal. That is a sign of a sick society. Hundred percent, one hundred percent, and um, it's. I, I ask myself that often. You know, um, let's take a look around at culture. Why is there a liquor store on every corner of every block of every place you go? The grocery store, the gas station. Mm-hmm. Um, it's so normalized. There's this normalcy bias of alcohol that it's okay. You know, and like I said, hey, there's there are definitely people out there. So I don't want to sound like you know, the, I mean, there's people who can have a beer like my uncle and then not mm-hmm. touch it. Right. But I think a lot of people, it's so normal. Like I was just talking to someone at our, we had a, uh, an event 
this last weekend at a, at a brewery and um, it was for a, a fundraiser. So we were, uh, it was a cornhole tournament. We were doing that. It was a good time. And I, I happened to talk to one of the, one of the girls that was there and she knows I don't, I don't drink. And she said, you know, I just like, I don't know. It's this normal thing. We, we started talking about it more and it was like, man, we were drinking every night with dinner. And so it's, it was, she was framing it up of how normal it is, you know? And so what I, what I kind of have been on is this idea that, cause it kind of goes back to the sitting in the cubicle thing you mentioned mm-hmm. we're tax assets to some extent. Sure. <laughs> and yeah. so, and so in order, in order for us to reach the full level of consciousness, which would connect humanity, which would connect human beings and make us very, very, very powerful. There has to be tools in place in a society to keep us at a level that is below that. Mm-hmm. And alcohol is one of those things I think that has been so normalized and used as such a tool in order to do that. Um, you know, that that's one of the reasons I love seeing dudes quit. It's not, I mean, obvious, the obvious reasons you got a DUI, you're going to lose your job. I mean, those are obvious, but, but it's also like a fuck you to the men, man. It's a, there's a bigger, there's a bigger thing here that we connect to spiritually, um, that, you know, that alcohol robs us of, um, it it blocks that, that consciousness it's Mm. spirit. That's why they call them spirits. They literally eat your body. They eat your spirit. <laughs> and, uh, and you know, when, when we, when we see that, it's like, man, your mind's blown almost because you go, holy shit. Like, yeah, I was locked into that for, you know, for a long time. And, um, yeah, yeah, yeah man, that's yeah. good stuff. I don't, I don't, uh, oh, go ahead, go ahead. Well, no, I'm just happy you found your, you found your way out, man. Cause you, you definitely seem like a guy with a lot to, to offer and, I wonder how many people of your caliber have, have been wasted on or have wasted their whole lives on alcohol. I'll give you one more quote from, um, from my book, which is alcohol is responsible for more failed relationships, more physical violence, more illness and death, and more unfulfilled dreams than any other substance in the history of civilization. And that's how I know that the government doesn't have our best interests at heart because I've said this for years, you know, the things that I know help things like plant medicine, such as ayahuasca. I know if you go and do ayahuasca, you will face your demons. It will help you evolve and become a happier, healthier, better person. Those things are illegal, but man, I can walk into, as you said, a gas station or a liquor store or a supermarket and go buy a bottle of whiskey and I could drink that bottle of whiskey and it'll kill me. And it's legal. Yep. It's le- it's totally legal. And yeah, we've got a long way to go. We've got a long way to go as a society. And I think, yeah, I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm with you. I don't think, I don't think excessive alcohol cons- consumption is, I don't think it's for high vibration people. I think it lowers your vibration. And I mean, one of the things I tell people to do when they're considering quitting drinking, as I say, just go out with a group of friends who drink heavily and don't drink just for one night. <laughs> And just hang around with them and see if they're the type of people you want to be around. Like just really like see if you enjoy being around drunk people, because I know I sure as fuck don't like being around drunk people, people, people who are stoned. Cool. I can take it. They're they're, they're usually funny and relaxed. And, but drunks, 
man, it's tough. <laughs> it's tough. Yeah, for me. it's I, I I'm the same. I can't st- I, I I can't st- like we were at my brother in law's uh, the other night, and one of his old buddies came over, and I, I liked the guy, but he just showed up, and he was like, "I'm so drunk," and he was hammered, and I was like, "All right, we gotta go." <laughs> I just can't be. Yeah. I don't want to be around that like period. It's nothing personal. I just, I'm not going to be around it and lower myself to that bar and, and, um, and let that energy in, you know? So yeah, yeah. try, I love that suggestion. Try that out and see how long you last. I I can promise (laughs) you not, it's probably not very long for, for most of us. For sure. For sure. And I, you know, just again, not on a high horse. I remember very clearly some of those times that I was drunk and man, I was a total douchebag. <laughs> Seriously, I was the, the very worst version of myself, just rude and belligerent and pissing against walls and like indoors. <laughs> um, it's just terrible. Anyway, Shane, it's been so wonderful chatting with you. Uh, if the listeners want to find out more about your work, actually, no, let me, let me, let me uh, rewind that back again. There is one more question I wanted to ask you. I know we're getting close to the end of our a lot of time, but I think this one's very important. Yeah. Uh, if you were to give, so say there's a guy out there listening to this and he, he really understands and he really feels in his gut that alcohol is holding him back. He, he knows it's not helping him be the best version of himself. What is the one actionable piece of advice that you would give him to start the process of, of eliminating it from his life? Surrender to it, baby. Give it up. Mm-hmm. Give it up. You know, just let go. Um, once I let go and I finally asked for some help and just said, God, I can't do this anymore. I need some help, man. I remember that moment and it felt like the weight of the world was lifted off of my shoulders. Mm -hmm. So you got to let go. You got to surrender. And then the caveat to that is things will get better. I promise you they will get better and things will change when you allow yourself and you open yourself up to that. You'll be amazed how things start to fall in place that you never thought were possible. Wow. That's wonderful. Thank you so much for that. Okay. I know a lot of, a lot of my listeners are going to want to connect with you. What's the best way for them to do that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you can find all of our resources. We have a great sober guy men's crew on the locals platform. Uh, we have a 30 day quit drinking dude challenge uh, podcast meetings, all those resources. You can go to that sober and you can find all of that info there. And then you can follow us on Instagram at that sober guy podcast. Awesome. Thank you so much for your time, Shane. Nick, thank you, sir. Honored to be on your podcast, man. I hope you guys enjoyed that one as much as I did. The topic, as I said in the intro, is something that's so close to my own heart. I just, I just don't feel like alcohol is a, a good business decision, you know, if you're valuing your time, right? And you look at your time as a, the way a businessman would look, look at a financial decision or a business decision, you know, like I want to get the most out of my investment of time. And so when I engage with alcohol, that three or four hours of a good time that I get back, is vastly outweighed by the 24 to 48 hours of feeling like garbage afterwards. You know, just to me, it's, it's not a good, not a good exchange, right? Exchanging four hours for 24 is just not a good deal. So I choose other ways to do it. And I just want to make it clear that there's no judgments for me, like on people who drink alcohol, because I get what they're trying to do, right? We're trying to change our consciousness and deal with you know, the, the harsh realities of life. I just think there's better ways to do it. And God only knows I've used things throughout my life to, to deal with things, you know? And I just find alcohol has just been the most 
ineffective one of all of those. So I make no judgments on anyone who wants to have a beer every now and then and relax and watch the game. I get it. I totally get it. If you can do that, if you're the kind of person for who that's an, an option and that's something you, you have control over and that works for you, more power to you. But for most of us, it's not. For most of us, that one beer turns into two, turns into three, turns into seven or whatever it might be. And, you know, we just feel like crap the next day. And you don't need to do that. There's better ways, as I said. Hope you guys enjoyed that. And I'll be back in a week with a, another episode for you. Until next time, peace out. Peace out.